welcome to Culture Eats, a show that seeks to explore some of the great organization cultures we have in the Asia-Pacific region, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Daniel Maskord. Welcome everybody to Culture Eats, episode seven, uh, which is the benefits of building a DE&I culture. And today I'm thrilled to have two authorities on the topic, Sadesh and Fiona, with me today. So welcome to the show. Thanks thanks for having us. Hello, everybody. Excellent. Before we get into, I guess, the the main part of the episode, uh, it would be good to start perhaps with some self-introductions. I've got Sadesh in front of me on the screen, so I'll, I'll let you start, Sadesh. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Daniel, for this. Uh, okay, introduction. So, Sudesh, born and bred in Malaysia, uh, third-generation Indian from great-grandparents who came from India as uh, slaves into Malaysia, thanks to the good old British, during the war. And uh, they were used to work in the rubber estates and uh, construction and farming, and uh, that's where I settled. And I was born in Malaysia. So grew up, studied uh, engineering because as an Indian, there's only three professions that would put food on the plate. It's engineering, degree, and law. Nothing else feeds you. And I took the easiest way out. I took engineering and uh, from graduated from engineering. And then I moved on. My last 20 odd years of my career has been in the space of change, transformation, innovation, customer service, customer experience. And then you wake up one morning and you suddenly get this epiphany that you want to just change your career because midlife crisis hits you and it hits you hard. And that's where I woke up and I wanted to do DNI. But why DNI? Um, it has been a, it has been a just inkling thing. And then growing up in a, in a space where you are always treated as a third class citizen in your own home country. And it, it kind of grows on to you that for you to, to succeed, you have to work 10 times harder than everybody else just to be on par. And then coming into Hong Kong, where people, the way that people treated me, uh, I've been in Hong Kong 15 years now, and seeing myself, my family, and friends and, and colleagues, just because of your sexuality, you're treated different. You're, because of your disability, you're treated different. Because of your color, you're treated different. It just grows onto you. You want to stop that from happening. You don't want your kids to experience the same. And hence, that's where I got onto this gig at Manulife. And uh, it's, a, it's an amazing role. I've been here for a year-ish now. And you know, part of a global DI team where we represent entire Asia and global in terms of bringing diversity, turn around its head and making it more inclusive in the workspace that goes beyond just a tick in a box KPI, but rather actions and, uh, and creative ways of bringing people and making them feel comfortable and safe in the workspace and for the community beyond. Amazing, Sinesh. Well, I appreciate the introduction and also the insights into your your journey uh, into your passion. You can definitely hear it through your voice that this is something that um, you believe in uh, and you've got your skin in the game to want to do these things, not 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 for, for the sake of yourself, but for, for everyone around you, uh, which is great. And we'll we'll deep dive into that a little bit later. Um, so th- thank you, Sadesh. Uh, over to you, Fiona. Thanks, Daniel. And uh, thanks for having me today on your podcast episode. So my name's Fiona Young, and I'm also, I was born in Malaysia as well. So I was born in KL, but I moved to Germany when I was about four years old. So I'm a banana, yellow on the outside, white on the inside, a third culture individual these days, right? That's the term that we're using. So I grew up in Germany most of my life. I've spent over there a couple of years in the States as well, where I completed my 
high school degree. And then I started off my career in Shell, oil and gas. And that was already like my first insight of how it's actually like in the workplace when you are different. So not only was I always most often the only female in the room, but I was also the youngest and one of the very few ethnic minorities. And um, even though I would say Shell is a great organization where we already started the DNI journey in the early 2000s, but still I was labeled as the diversity hire, the diversity token. So um, always feeling a bit like not fitting in, not having that sense of belonging. You know, it already started in my childhood, but then also experiencing that in my work life was actually very, yeah, very frustrating. And um, with actually, I started off in Shell as a finance advisor. Then uh, with that role, I was expatriated to Hong Kong in 2010. So I've been living here in Hong Kong for the past 12 years. And interestingly, when I moved to Hong Kong, I thought that it would be easy for me to integrate in this society because, you know, my parents are from Asia. And so it should be a smooth integration. But I realized when I moved here that I'm actually much more German than I admit it to be. And there was actually a cultural clash especially when it comes to dealing with my colleagues here and, you know, them having unconscious biases that I look Asian, I look Chinese, so I should easily be able to pick up Cantonese. And um, yeah, so one of the days I would actually just ask them, if I would be a, a Caucasian German, would you expect the same thing of me? And obviously not, right? Because Cantonese for me is like learning a completely new language. It's not something that I can easily pick up just because the way I look like. So in Shell, that's where I already started off my diversity inclusion journey. Um, so I was nominated to also facilitate DNI sessions, which I was extremely passionate about when it comes to culture because I wanted my colleagues to also embrace cultural diversity, understand that not everyone needs to look a certain way to be uh, to be from a different culture because like I said I myself I'm I'm a banana just because I look you know Asian does not mean that I have I behave and communicate in a very similar way to them so with that um, you know I moved over to digital transformation within Shell and then my last role in Shell was being the head of customer operations and so again I was like one of the youngest in the room female Asian and um, for me I felt like how can I really bring my team together because I was um, managing a team of sales support, and they're based here in Hong Kong. They're typically of the more mature generation. And then I had a big team based in Malaysia who are just recently graduated from university. They have a very different appetite when it comes to career development. And so for me, that was the focus then on generational inclusion. And having left Shell now since 2017, I have established my own coaching consulting company, really focused on bringing that whole mindset of diversity and inclusion and equity to organizations and really seeing, you know, different organizations, how are they dealing with that and really supporting them with my experience, but also with my personal passion. Uh Wow. Thank you as well for, for the introduction. Very thorough, like Sadesh. And like Sadesh, uh, have experienced the other side in terms of assumptions based on, on how you look or, or, or 
uh, the nationality that you are, but actually uh, humans are so so different. Uh, and if we could just listen to the voices, I think uh, that the world would be would be much better. So once once again, we'll we'll deep dive into to your journeys a little bit later. Uh, and what we'll do now is go straight into the rapid fire round to uh, understand some more about you. So in the same order that the introductions came through, uh, we will we'll go through the five questions. So the first one is uh, to Sadesh, what food, if any, <laughs> gives you the fuel uh, for the day? If it was back in Malaysia, it would be roti chanai with a bit of curry. Oh. Gosh, two pieces at minimum, and then it will get you going. Or on alternate days, you have nasi lemak. Mm. But in Hong Kong, it's just a good old bread, butter, and jam. Carbs uh, and some sugar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it can still taste good. <laughs> just depends on how much jam you put on. Yeah. Lots. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Fiona, what's uh, what's your food that fuels you? Um, a black Americano. Ah. Food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very simple. Well, it's, it's definitely fuel. It's definitely fuel, rocket fuel. Uh, and interestingly, I think about 50% of my guests have shared the same thing. So I think uh, <laughs> the morning fast is is a, is a trend. Uh, cool. Um, the second question is, what else besides uh, coffee and uh, bread uh, fuels you or gives you energy, Sadesh? You know what? Uh, okay, coffee is a, plays a huge part because I, I'm looking at my, my table now. I, I actually have a coffee machine just at the desk. And whenever I want one, I just... Just like a, <laughs> and, but, but you know what? For me, it's more like uh, I feel that I, I can make a change in someone's life every day. Now, when you wake up in the morning and the work that you do is so meaningful, it's so impactful, that you know you're going to change somebody's life by the end of the day. And that keeps me going. I guess it's the prospect of change, not, not even the fact that you've changed, because that, that would be a big reward, um, but the fuel is the prospect. Yeah. Love it. Great. Uh, Fiona, over to you. Um, for me, it's, I mean, first of all, I love meditation and yoga. So I do that almost on a daily basis. That fuels me. That just sets me up for, you know, a good start of the day. But very similar to Sudesh, you know, the reason why I left corporate life after 14 years is really to make a difference in other people's lives. And I, I would say, like, I'm one of the probably very fortunate ones who already found that out, that this is my purpose in life when I was in my early 20s. And so I'm really grateful that I was, I had the opportunity to actually take that leap in my mid-30s. Knowing your purpose, I guess, really unlocks a lot. Um, and then having a purpose like this is, is an is a accelerator. Sadesh, back to you. Uh, who is your biggest inspiration? My kids. Honestly, so we've got two, uh, two kids, uh, one 11-year-old and one 4-year-old. I mean, I mean, it's like you look at them, and the reason I got into this role, to this job, is to create a better world for them. Um, and, and, and kids are so clean, you know, they don't see these biases, they don't see color, shape, size, whatever. And I see them, they, they have uh, their play dates and people in the play date in, in my house from different backgrounds. And they're all playing the same thing, doing the same thing, eating from the same plate and stuff. And, you know, it's so wonderful to see. And that is the inspiration. You know, this is a world that you would like to be. Why can't we all be like kids, clean? When when do we start building biases into our head? You know, so yeah, that's the clean inspiration. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good good one. Fiona, how about yourself? 
So there is no particular individual uh, that comes to my mind. I, I don't think it's necessarily who that who, but rather what. So I feel like there are so many great individuals out there. You know, some of them I personally know, but it's more the what. What kind of adversities have they faced? What kind of challenges have they faced? And how, what, how did they learn from it? And that really inspires me. It's more about the what rather than mm -hmm. a specific individual. Great. Two very uh, powerful sources of inspiration. And now just a um, sometimes a divisive question. Uh, Sudesh, once again, back to you. Uh, who wins the fight between culture and strategy? No, you cannot ask that question. Because if, <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be goes, either or. I could... <laughs> you know what you call it's, it's funny it's like one of those uh lexicons so you have you need one of the other is that you need the strategy to build yeah. the culture you need the culture to create to develop the strategy it's it's, it's a funny one because yeah. i know in my day i switch between both every day mm -hmm. so it's, it's it's hard it's like one of the chicken and egg it's a clear chicken oh. and egg and i'm not going to answer you yeah, <laughs> well, that, that was an answer, but it just wasn't the one I was hoping for. Uh, thanks, Adesh. And Fiona, judging by, by your body language, you, you may agree that. I mean, I do agree with Sudesh for sure, because you know, if you don't have the culture, how can you drive strategy? But then again, if you have a great culture and no strategy behind it, you know, what's the point? Where's the finish line? So, yeah, yeah I'm also divided on this one, and I would say it's a tie. A draw. Good one. <laughs> Episode seven, it is a draw. So uh, thank you both. And now the last question is around a book that may have changed your life. And it may, it may not have to be a book. It could be something else um, that has given you that spark. And I'll, I'll throw, it, throw it to you, Sadesh, because it, it may not be a book for you. Okay, I think it is. I, I managed to think about it. It okay. was August 1997. Okay, long yeah, time yeah, ago. Yeah. In August 1997, I picked up this book called Digital Signal Processing. Since that book, I've decided to not do DSP anymore and to not do engineering or anything related because I knew I would never be able to do that. So yes. that book defined my career of not being that. <laughs> so it may, not, it may not have been the uh, desired outcome for the book publisher but uh <laughs> i left engineering completely to go and do something else you know <laughs> thanks for that book <laughs> i'll have to contact the uh the author uh okay sudesh thank you for that one and uh fiona how about yourself so mine is is a book called work happier and i picked it up when i was thrown into the cold water to become the head of customer operation i was never in operations before and neither have I ever led a team of 30 individuals before. And so I was super overwhelmed. And I remember my first trip to Malaysia, where my biggest team is based. I actually picked up that book at the airport. It just it just looked really catchy. Um, it was a yellow cover, work happier. And basically, there are little stories and uh, basically stories from employees, how they describe a really inspiring uh, manager or boss that they had. And so when I read that, I felt really emotional and I wanted it to be that kind of 
leader, that kind of manager. And so with that, it kind of led me into the world of coaching. So I received my external coaching certification um, outside of you know the organization and brought back all these coaching and feedback skills into custom operations. And that kind of paved the way for me to slowly, t- you know, kind of like taking little steps outside of my comfort zone and eventually then deciding to leave Shell after 14 years. So that mm-hmm. book definitely changed my life. Yeah. Well, I'll have to put both uh, books in the show notes so people <laughs> who may be looking to change their careers from engineering uh, <laughs> um, or to 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 um, take on a, on, a, on a new leadership role can be inspired. So uh, thank you. And, and that closes the rapid fire round. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll get into uh, the heart of the episode. So as shared, the, the title uh, of, of this episode is about the benefits of building uh, this DE&I culture. Um, and I think, I think occasionally the acronym can be um, confused, like definitions, uh, depending on which person you're speaking to. Uh, are they in that particular function or not? Uh, different parts of different organisations may treat it differently. So I thought a good place to start would be around definitions, um, maybe personal definitions or even uh, definitions that you think uh, are suitable for, for a corporate setting. So Sudesh or Fiona, it would be good to get your views on uh, how would you define DE and I? You know, for me, I really love the uh, the quote, um, diversity is being invited to a party, inclusion is being asked to dance, and uh, belonging, and this is where I feel like is part, partly equity as well, is dancing like no one is watching. So for me, that is like the perfect definition of DEI, because if we look at organizations, for example, we do see hopefully, we do see a lot of diversity going on already. Sometimes it's like the surface diversity that you see, you know, the gender, the uh, the ability, the, the, the uh, culture, but there's so much more below the surface. So I think diversity on a surface level is, is pretty much existent already in a lot of organizations. Um, it's just that next step, right? Like how can we create that inclusive environment where people feel safe? And then if they feel safe, they feel like they belong. And with that, you know, they can just be their their true self. They can be authentic. I like that because that that is a uh, there's imagery there. So it's always good to remember words that have imagery, um, and I think it's it's easy to understand. So so uh, actually, kids should be able to understand a concept like that. But it can also be translated pretty successfully into the corporate setting, and it kind of reminds me of of someone that I was talking about this topic with and his organization was saying well we've got this um, big initiative to recruit diverse hires and they wanted to get everyone's feedback on uh, what's the best way to recruit diverse hires and he turned around with with the group of uh, diverse employees and said actually uh, the first step is to create the environment there's no point just recruiting diverse hires throw them in and and they, they actually thrive or feel included you may, you may actually have a, a reverse effect or a negative effect. So that, that kind of just triggered something in my head. Sadesh, would, would, you, would you see things differently, Echo? Um, you know, uh, Fiona said it uh, perfectly well. I mean, that, that quote has been going around. It is a very strong, meaningful quote. So for me, when I tell people and what we do, what we do is treat others how you want to be treated. You know, the whole purpose of DI is 
you know how you want to be treated. You know how you want to be respected. You know how you want to feel included in a conversation, in a setting, in a party. You go to a, a you go to a birthday party and nobody talks to you for whatever reason because you're wearing green trousers where everybody else is wearing blue trousers. So you feels weird. Or today you are in a place where you are deemed as the majority. The moment you move to another country, suddenly you become the minority. So you were privileged in your own home country, and suddenly you no longer have that privilege. And how does that make you feel? So it's basically that today you'll be one person, tomorrow something else would happen. You would be sick one day, you'll be healthy one day. You might be disabled one day, you may not be disabled one day. Your life changes every single day. So treat others on how you want to be treated because it can happen to you, your family, your friends, anybody around you. So because nobody will stay, like, I, and I tell people, nobody chooses to be born in a particular skin color or a particular ability or in a particular country. It is not your choice. You cannot control who your parents are or where you're born. So when the person cannot control it, who are you to define that person? You don't even know. So it's, and it's a bit deep. It's a bit deep thinking that way, but it is reality. Don't judge people. I mean, that's the whole point. We do DNI. It's like it's, it's not your responsibility to judge who you choose to love or who you can be with or or what disability or ability you have or what skin color you own. That's a really good add-on, and um, I think you know I've seen organisations successfully kind of roll out concepts like this through role playing uh, or reverse role playing, and say, well, okay, let's um, let's put a cloth over your eyes, and I want you to navigate the room. And how, how does that make you feel? And I think that that's just that's just some uh, initiatives that organisations can do, workshops. But I think to your point, if we can just imagine how would we like to be treated uh, if in a situation like that, it will help unlock uh, the right mindsets needed. Good. So I think we've, we've set a very good baseline around definitions to help us uh, continue on the journey of the episode. So. I think the next topic for me would be to understand or get your perspectives around the actually the journey of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. DEI has been in our history for thousands of years. You know, so if you, if you go really back, really, really far back, inclusion, diversity, equity is all about representation and taking ownership of a space or a role or an environment. And people use DEI for their benefit and for their gain in control via religion, politics, and socioeconomy. And that still exists until today. The people of a majority group form a large religious conclave. And from that religion, I control you. You follow me and I will control you. There's already one form. Then politics, the majority of the people who look and speak the same form a political party, and that becomes the one that bases, that defines everything in the country. And then, then you have socioeconomics, is in the level of the population where how poor you are, how rich you are, suddenly that is immediately denoted to your skin color. The darker you are, the poorer you are, the fairer you are, the richer you are. So if this has been in existence to God knows how long, and then along in 70, 80 years ago, from even in the days of Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, it's like, listen to me, listen to me, listen to us. It never changed. 
until maybe 20, 30 years ago when Me Too movement started, just like 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, then you know what? I've had enough. I'm raising my hand. This person harassed me. This person touched me inappropriately. Because when, when it really hits you where from a physical standpoint, somebody gets hurt, then people react. And when it's very visual and public, when I can quote a person and a brand, this person from this company touched me wrongly. And suddenly the world just wakes up. And that happened with uh, racial ex, uh, nuances as well. Uh, racism, uh, on the topic of racism in, in North America has been going on for a long time. But nobody lifted a bat until somebody had to die in 2020. And suddenly the whole world stopped and reacted. So same way with, uh, with uh, Stonewall, with the LGBT movement, people had to die and get hurt in order to be hurt. So you see, we only react when something big or bad happens. There is a human psyche. But the problem with that is where you, you grow activism. Because of reaction, you have activism. The problem with activism is it creates or it sparks conversation. It sparks, listen, please include me. But the thing about activism is it dies off very quickly. Black Lives Matters kind of tapered off. Asian hate, stop Asian hate kind of tapered off. Me too tapered off because it was that brief moment. But are we saying that we are all better now, that no woman is getting sexually harassed now? No uh, black people are getting uh, offended or harassed now, that uh, everything is fine and dandy. No, what happened to those movements? So that's the problem with activism. Now is the day of advocacy. Advocacy takes time. It is a slow burn conversation. You convince people with stories and awareness and campaigns and using the, the art of storytelling to bring you into the conversation. The thing about advocacy, it takes time but it lasts, it stays long. So some brands have started to use that route and that approach, and that is how DEI is changing. The day when I don't have a job anymore doing DEI is where I think that we have matured. But until that day happens that we still need people who can scream and shout out loud DEI, I think it's going to be a long way ahead. That's a good... Um good long long time span overview of DEI and it's interesting what you say I guess about these these movements and I'd probably argue that you know, the Martin Luther King movement did create change um, and a tangible policy change and equality happened but of course it, it didn't fix everything and maybe to add to your point technology and social media has provided this um, explosion explosive, um, platform to allow these voices and movements to happen, but by its nature, social media is is not something that drives lasting change. It, it's it's a large microphone. You, you need uh, advocacy, as you said, to, to be uh, the, the key tool now. Um, Fiona, I'll, I'll throw it over to you as well to see uh, if there's a different angle, a different uh, history that you see or, or a future. Well, I think with what you already mentioned, rightly, what you pointed out is really through technology, through social media, through all these sharing. And, you know, like as a millennial, I 
this is some this is our bread and butter, right? Using social media, and it just like amplifies and and creates more awareness all over the world. And you know, back in the days of Martin Luther King, you don't have uh, Instagram or Snapchat. You wouldn't know what's going on actually outside of your own country or even in the next city. So I think, of course, social media can be um, you know there's some negative connotation to it, but again, it creates that awareness. But whether or not it's sustainable, we see a sustainable change. I think it really boils down to the individual. So this is where I would say that we all have a role to play. And it's not just for our leaders, politicians, or maybe, you know, in an organization, wait for a DNI professional to handle all of these things. But we all have a role to play. And in my space of generational inclusion, particularly, I work with very young talents. Um, and this is also where we have to step step up the game and to be more proactive and not just complain about the mature generations bashing millennials or Gen Z, but rather working with them, helping uh, mature generations to understand where where we are coming from, what is our perspectives. And I think um, with the next generation, especially, they're so driven by purpose. They want to join organizations that, you know, provide some meaningful development, whether it's for themselves or also, of course, for their customers and their clients. So I think this is where we have to move away from just celebrating the International Women's Day or uh, Pride Month, but rather have something more sustainable. And everyone is doing actually their fair share, uh, making a difference themselves, taking actions instead of just posting on Instagram or on social media that, you know, the, the IWD um, pledge, for example. Every day should be IWD, right? Every day should be Pride Month. So why don't, why don't we all actually take actions and not just profess the message, but really reinforcing it on a daily basis? I think this is something that we all can do. Yeah, that's, that's um, I think, the important points uh, around social media. And I think we could probably spend, uh, record another episode just on uh, how to use it and the pros and cons. But also, you know, change will happen once action happens. And uh, individuals are important, but also groups of individuals, uh, communities and society uh, broadly. As we paint this picture, the journey of DEI, DE&I, Sadesh um, so would be interested to know, like, where, where did you come in? I guess you described early in the introduction um, the family story and your own journey geographically um, and, and some of the, um, I guess, challenges that you faced, but, but interested to, to come here more. Um, so I got maybe just um, back forward 15 years ago, coming into Hong Kong, and uh, wife and I, we moved here to, to, to get into our jobs, and we didn't know anybody where to go, what to do, where to eat, what to do. We were just alone in this place called Hong Kong, and we felt isolated, felt alone and felt isolated. And it took us a few years to understand why. And from the from the train situation where nobody sits next to you in the train, nobody comes into the elevator where you are in the elevator. Sometimes that happens also. And um, but it's just why is this happening? Then we quickly realized that sometimes it's the the ignorance. I don't understand means I avoid. And so we thought, what if we blend in? So many of us, or people from minority backgrounds, we tend to blend in. And our way of blending in is putting on our armor. And our armor is the suit. 
So the moment the suit comes on and the clothing changes, the way you speak changes, the way you walk changes, the way you talk changes, suddenly you're more accepted. It's weird, isn't it? It's, um, it's just the human condition that we are tuned towards certain things that we feel comfortable. We feel that uh, this means good, this means bad. And uh, this armor actually kind of helped to pave way. But fast forward 15 years now, as things change, I have to admit it has. It has changed. I think all these conversations globally that is happening about inclusion and acceptance and differences is fast changing and is and is becoming more accepted. And people are speaking up. Young people are speaking up. I mean, Fiona can speak about that. And university students. And I interview many, many people all the time. And most of these interviewees come and ask this question, what culture does your company profess? Tell us about your DNI principles. These, these are people telling me when I'm interviewing you for a job. You know, and it's cool when they're asking you those questions. So it's like, oh wow, it is slowly seeping in. And Asia never used to talk about DNI maybe two years ago. Nope, nothing. And now we are. We are having big conferences being organized everywhere on DNI, open conferences. We have companies throwing in money, sponsoring events, activities. More and more minority communities are coming out and saying that, oh wow, I'm being heard. And this is Asia. It's wonderful. Yeah, well, thank you for for sharing more of the journey, uh, the journey on the train, uh, as well as uh, the, the journey uh, through through this this area. And just a quick follow up question: do, do you think the the reason this change has happened in the last few years can be pinpointed to one or two um, sparks or, or events? When there is a common reason that all humans can point towards everything else is forgotten or not spoken about. As I now COVID, there's a common enemy that we want to get out of COVID. Suddenly, everybody is speaking the same language. And, and humanity is quite funny. When you have something, an enemy, or any, any wars are all the same. You have one common purpose. Everybody gets alongside to it and points to that direction until that enemy is defeated or that purpose is met. And suddenly, everybody goes back to their own shell again until something else happens. So these two years, I think, has defined Hong Kong in a way. Likewise, across the region, as we are seeing, and people are becoming more focused on one, hence they are more open to inclusion because you and I are facing the same battles. You and I are getting vaccinated. You and I can't travel back to our home countries to see our parents. So you and I are the same. We have a common enemy, which is the virus. So it's interesting that we have this thing changing, and I hope this sustains because now, just by doing that, I know more of you and you know more of me. Yeah. Yeah. We become closer. And, and, and we'll get on to the benefits as well, because ho hopefully the benefits will help embed a lot of these changes and make, make sure that it does, does last. Um, but I think my, my quick re reflection mm -hmm. is it's, it's like corporate purpose has, has become a thing um, in the past few years because I, th I think because of a lot of the changes, a lot of the uh, pain that people are feeling, the human parts of us are coming out, which, which makes us embrace uh, diversity of thought, diversity of people, backgrounds, and have, have treating organisations not like a paycheck or, 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 or someone that's going to give you money, but uh, a home. And so you're looking for a home that you feel, some, you, you feel safe and comfortable in and you can vibe with the people around you. Um, so it's, it's all driven by maybe some negative events or, or some, some bad stuff, but it's brought people together, which is a positive, and I also hope that it can continue. 
Fiona, where would you kind of come in um, into the discussion? Where do I come? Well, it started off in my childhood, right? Because I moved to Germany without actually even knowing how to count to 10, um, leaving basically all my family and friends behind in Malaysia and uh, having to move to Germany because my dad had that big dream to open up a restaurant like every other Chinese person <laughs> in, in Europe. So um, that kind of took me out of my comfort zone, out of my environment, um, away from people I loved. And, um, you know, at that time in the late 80s, there weren't a lot of Asians or Chinese actually in Germany. So I was, I w me and my brother, we were the only ones in primary school. And the bullying just started and continued. And it was verbal abuse, but also physical abuse that I had to um, experience. And with all of that, there was also a lot of, hate towards my parents you know why did they bring us over there and um, not being able to fit in being bullied because of the way i look but also because my parents um they weren't really able to integrate into the german society so they spoke german but nevertheless their mindset is still very traditionally malaysian chinese so i grew up with that kind of customs and traditions. But at the same time, I also had to try to integrate into the German society and to the level where my parents actually wanted us to also assimilate. So that's the next step, right? To really adopt, what Sudash mentioned, adopting actually the way of life in order to fit in and to blend in. But obviously, because of the way I look, it's very difficult to blend in. And what makes it worse is that when I used to travel, you know, for summer holidays, when I used to travel back to Malaysia to visit my relatives, I was then being bullied by them because I didn't speak Chinese fluently. So it's, you never feel, I never felt that I had a place of belonging. If people ask me, where's your home country? It's really difficult to define. And so with that, I actually, you know, in, in university, I I focus a lot around intercultural management. At that time, diversity and inclusion wasn't really a big topic. I think it was kind of hidden behind all the HR policies, but never really spoken about. And um, yeah, I, I, I was just I was just really surprised when then Shell started to come up with all these internal workshops to create awareness about unconscious biases. I think for me, that's that's the first step, right, in terms of getting an understanding and awareness of diversity and inclusion is really to be aware of your own unconscious biases, because we all have them. It's very human, right? It, it's it's something that. Uh, happens automatically is very difficult to control but the first step is actually to be aware of your biases we all have them I mean I train people to be aware of unconscious biases but I also catch myself at times where I have those biases so I think it's really um, you know where I see we're starting to open up in terms of this discussion in Asia, it's great to see. And of course, it differs industry to industry. I, I'm now working with 55 different clients from 18 industries. So we see a different maturity level, actually, when it comes to this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But people want to um, become more aware. And I hope that it's not just to tick off the diversity checkboxes, you know, ticking off that checkbox, but really believing believing in, in the in the benefits of diversity and inclusion to help people to feel 
that they have that sense of belonging, wherever culture they're from, whatever background they have, whatever age they are, whatever gender they have. So, yeah, that's my view. Thank you, Fiona. Uh, And actually, the journey, uh, your perspectives, uh, kind of bring me to a nice segue around, okay, surely there's some benefits here. Um, And it shouldn't be, organisations shouldn't be approaching this, as you said, as a tick box. Um, So the best way that we can communicate to these organisations is to talk about the benefits so that it's we must do this instead of we should do this. Uh, So, Sadesh, based on your experience, uh, whether it be Manulife uh, or or previous organisations or some of your community work that you've done in volunteering, what are the obvious benefits that you get um, by having a purposeful approach and a serious approach to DEI? I think uh, two, three benefits I see. First benefit is benefit to the community. So where they immediately embrace and accept the changes that you're bringing in and the support that you're giving them. And, and it's really welcome because sometimes minority communities do not have access to support as much as others do. Uh, majority communities usually are quite cohesive and there's funding and there's support and there's resource because you have a majority. So you have more prowess in achieving different things. Minority communities don't get that kind of a support. So when anybody comes in giving them that support, they will take it with open arms. And that, that joy that you see in their face and that joy that you, when you say, oh, wow, thank you for listening and thank you for being there. So that's one, to the community. Next is the benefit that we see to the teams. So as they, and, 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 and humans, we are like, we are magnets to joy. And when we see something happy happening in one space, we will just be attracted to it. It's just like bees to, to flowers. It's the same. So when we see happy things happening in, in the space in the office, you will just automatically are drawn towards it. So when, when we do events or conversations or, or topics or on different forms of inclusion, and we see people happy and joyful and just doing, people get drawn to it. So it creates a nice feel. The most important one, which is the, the highest benefit I feel, is a change to yourself then you become a different person altogether. That the more you give, you feel that you, the more that you receive. And when you, the, the way that you receive is, it's just good karma. I mean, Fiona understands this, you know, from, from the meditation that she does. It's that the good vibes that you give out, it just comes back to you tenfolds. I sleep better. I wake up happy. My weekends are joyful. And I, I'm a very different person to when I was five years ago, four years ago. 10 years ago. It's like you come to a point where, you know what, I'm just content with what I'm doing. So I think this is where when it's, it's the helping game. Like Fiona does helping by coaching and helping and guiding people. And, and the happiness that she feels is very unique to herself. And she's happy. I know her. She's a very happy person. And I do the same. You know, the amount of work that I help, I feel that um, it's a very joyful place to be. Good. Uh, I think these these are three clear benefits um, that that anyone can take on board, the community, the joy, uh, the self-enrichment, which I think also has tangible um, outcomes for the teams that you lead. Um, You you become a better leader, you become more inclusive, and your team uh, feels feels, uh, a greater sense of attachment to you and loyalty. So over to you, Fiona. What what do you see as the the benefits uh, to organisations? 
Yeah, I mean, what Sudesh already mentioned, it enriches you as an individual. So if we translate it for organizations, it also enriches them. And we always hear about the importance of diversity of thought. Now, diversity, like I said, is already existent, is there. As an individual, even though you think that you blend in, you're very similar to one another, you feel like it's a very homogenous community, but we're all still very unique individuals because we're shaped by our upbringing, we're shaped by our culture, the experience of life, the phase of life. So we're all unique individuals. So in order for organizations to really experience the benefit is to enhance the importance of diversity of thoughts. And just to hire someone because of a specific gender does not make a organization more successful or um, more efficient. So it's really about looking at diversity of thoughts and really embracing it. And not just, like I said, not just professing the message, but really reinforcing it. Because what I do see sometimes in organizations, you know, when you come into the office, then you see on the walls like people first. But actually, when you talk, when I talk to them, when I talk to the employees, they don't feel that they're being, you know, they're being placed first by the organization. It's all about meeting KPIs. It's all about um, making sure that they sell um, based on their targets. So they, I feel like we need to take that step further, especially when you're a people manager, really embracing that message of trying to help people feel included and with that, again, we create that sense of belonging. We create a safe space where people feel free to share even about their mistakes. And it's being seen as a learning opportunity. Because for me, being creating an inclusive work environment means that people feel free to share their ideas, which means innovation can happen. Innovation cannot happen or innovation is not about, you know, knowing how to do coding or all these techie stuff is really about helping people creating that platform so that they can share without the fear of negative consequences and where they feel that they're being listened to. So I think like if we can embrace, truly embrace diversity, equity, inclusion, not just as a, you know, tick box or part of the strategy, if we can really genuinely feel that this is important as an individual i think this is where we can also see innovation can happen this is where we can also see that the next generation workforce might actually um stay on a little bit longer than what we are used to so i think it's more about that living it from a genuine perspective yeah yeah i get it so i guess in summary it's um better innovation um it's better retention uh, and I think maybe it's better ideas overall because you allow the freedom for all ideas to come, come into the organisation and you choose the best ones, not based on your rank, uh, your background. Uh, it's actually based on the idea. Um, so these are really good. And, and Fiona, I'll stay with you for a second. Um, when, we, when we look at those benefits, when we look at cl clearly, I think people should be convinced that they should be seriously looking into it. How do you make it happen? How do you make that change stick? Um, so if you're thinking about integrating it into your culture, do you see some kind of must-have areas in a business yeah. or ways of integrating? Yeah. One of the ways, and this is also something that we have done in Shell back in my days, um, is to have business leaders being 
at being advocates, being champions for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not let it being driven just by back in the days we don't even have a DNI department, but not only being d- driven by HR. Um, so it's not just an HR strategy, but it's something that every leader is is uh, genuinely invested in. And so I would say try to create that platform of diversity, equity, and inclusion champions. Make making sure that it's not just something that HR is uh, strategizing about, and is creating that you know those allies, creating networks so that the employees can get involved to enhance DEI in the workplace. So getting everyone involved, having setting up networks, making sure that you know it comes from the top. It has to come from the top and then cascade it all the way down to the frontliners. So this is where I see, you know, and also from experience where I can see that diversity and inclusion is what I like to say is part of the DNA of the organization. Love it. Love it. And and I think uh, with any change, leadership and advocates is, is so important and obviously true in this case as well. And you're highly credible having having lived it and also have coached it across uh, the 55 odd uh, companies that you're working with. So, so if anyone would like to know about more practical next steps, of course, they can get in touch with you and I'll uh, leave more information in the show notes. Sadesh, right back to you. Um, I mean, you talked about the benefits of being community, the joy and uh, that self-enrichment. How do you see the integration parts in, in, into the culture? And I guess... You must have been living this uh, through your your entry into manual life t- till today. Um, you know, integration will never happen immediately or on day one. You know, integration is, in fact, the word integration will still remain in the dictionary for many, many years to come because we are all different. We all have different beliefs and, and nuances. And say, when you go into a new company, you need to integrate. You need to understand culture and you integrate. And then you leave that company, you go to another place, and again, you need to integrate. So when where does individuality come? Where is there a space where the company can accept? You don't have to integrate. You just bring yourself, and this is a task at hand. What can you do to make this task work? Not, not to say that this is how we usually do this. This is a guideline. Here are all the different processes and documents that you need to read through in the first two weeks of your job because that is how it's always done. And we still do that today in every company. So when are we going to open the doors? Do you know what? Find a way to fix it. I have this little uh, analogy that I tell everybody. We all go to shopping malls and we all go to different offices and stuff like that. When you go to the toilets, you'll have your regular toilets and you'll have your disabled toilets, right? Sometimes I wonder, do you actually have a person with disability who designs the toilet for you? Because question one, why must the disabled toilet looks different than the regular toilet. The tiling is different, it looks cheaper, it looks like a public toilet, more than the more modern looking regular toilets. Think about it. You go to any of the shopping malls, any of the office buildings, you'll suddenly see a vast difference in quality in the disabled toilets from the sink, the, the bowl and the handles, and even the flooring and the colors and the lights. Why? Are we isolating them? Is it any different that being disabled means you are down the rung of the pile, that you don't deserve it? Or did you actually have a person with disabilities design those toilets alongside your team of different creative people? Again, this is where the inclusion bit comes in. When you have a problem, 
who do you have on the table with those creative thinking? If everybody in the room looks the same and speaks the same, they will do the same. But if you have somebody with a different mindset, hey, by the way, um, let's consider this option. By the way, let's do this because for me, this will be easier. It, so we, this is how the inclusive bit comes. And as we go into banking or insurance, when we design products, are we designing products for the same type of people? When we design shoes, are we designing shoes for the same type of people who will only like that particular color? So it's, it's that, that whole nuance of who are you selling your product to? Because at the end of the day, uh, there's a business element. There is a business financial gain, honestly. You have this whole giant-sized minority community who can be your future customers, who would buy your products, your services, if you include them. That's powerful um, and, and, and good story, good storytelling. I actually agree. I, I didn't really pay attention, and that's probably my, my fault as well. As we kind of wrap up the episode, I think we're kind of touching on, well, what can organisations do about this and how should they think? What are some practical tips that you'd give um, either operators uh, that are focusing full-time on this role or uh, advocates that are trying to, to, to drive change or those that actually want to play a bigger role? Um, what tips would you have? Uh, maybe, Fiona, I'll, I'll go to you first. Yeah, it's, it's very similar to what I've previously mentioned, right? So it's trying to make sure that every everyone in an organization feel that they can contribute towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it can start with just creating employee resource groups. So I'm now working with a lot of clients who have set up their generations network. There's, um, of course, the women's and business network. It's There's so many already. Um, it, it gives employees an opportunity to actually be more involved, share their ideas, and maybe even share their own challenges with their colleagues in that space and trying to find out what kind of initiatives could they take in order for them to overcome these challenges and to... Um, to share their challenges with everyone else as well. So uh, especially for women's and business networks, um, I used to be the president for the Shell Women's Network. And uh, we actually wanted to also bring in our male colleagues to understand what are the hurdles we're facing? Because we don't just want to have a women's network and you know we, we just like complain and whine amongst ourselves, but we need our male colleagues to really understand all the challenges that we're going through. So I think employee resource groups are a great way to start and it doesn't take much than just really in um, a few passionate individuals to drive that. And it has a really big impact in the organization. It's, it's, it has that trickling effect and people feel that they are part of something bigger. They're, it's not just coming to work and doing their nine to five, doing their job scope, but they're actually able to make a difference to not only their own lives, but to the lives of their colleagues and to really create that awareness when it comes to all these DNI topics. Amazing. Uh, thank you, Fiona, for your many tips. Uh, Sadesh, I'll uh, throw it back to you for your tips. Um, I think just to add on to what Fiona has said, it's very simple. First, you must be accepting and agree that this is the right thing to do as a company leader. As a leader in the company, you believe that this is important for you and for your strategy. That's rule number one, which means the tone from the top. Number two, you must be able to cascade this to your leadership team. 
that they also believe the same ideology and the belief that you are expounding, that this is the right thing to do for the company. So it's number two. Third, find people in the company who are passionate about it because you don't have to be the one doing it. The company leaders don't have to be the one leading all the time because they got you have to run the business. So I bet you, you'll find somebody or a group of people in your company who are passionate, who have this personal self of, I want to do more. Reach out to these people and get them, empower them with resources, funding, and a space to be able to drive these cultures into your company and let them thrive. They will be the one helping you to build your strategy and your goals. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to hire somebody in HR to manage this. You don't have to do something specifically. Let people who want to do it, do it. So if you build all of these things into place, suddenly you'll start seeing these things trickling. All these new ERGs will start popping up, like what Fiona mentioned. You'll have ERGs coming up, you'll have people coming in. The culture will suddenly start building upwards. Then you can see, now let's define the strategy. Let's put in KPIs in place. Let's put in policies in place. Let's help all these employees. And it will just mushroom out. So turn from the top, go one step down, find people who are the key people in the company who want to do this on their own, give them the empowered funding, resource, time, space, let them thrive. And then you come back to your KPI and strategy. Don't start with KPIs first. Many companies make a mistake by throwing in KPI numbers first and then the rest later. And those are the ones that fail. Thank you, Sudesh, uh, for the three tips and the bonus one in the end around KPIs as well. And thus, thus concludes uh, the episode uh, on Culture Eats. And I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to, to be on this episode. Uh, I really enjoyed learning more about the topic, um, its journey, uh, your journey as well, um, and, and also some of the insights that you've shared. And I do hope that uh, for the audience that's listening, they can take one or two nuggets uh, and, and really drive some change uh, in their own lives uh, and, and organizations. So uh, thank you again, Sudesh and Fiona. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for thank having you. us. Okay, stay safe, guys. Thanks, Daniel. Bye. That was fun. Okay.